We'll be continuing this morning in the book of Jude. So please open your Bibles with me to Jude. We're coming now down to the last sections. This morning we'll be looking at verses primarily 17 through 19. And he again tells us in that passage, Beloved, or but you must remember, beloved. We're called again to remembrance. Now we know people have a tendency to follow in the footsteps of giants, stand on the shoulder of giants to reach new heights. And sometimes that's a good thing. Somebody blazes the trail and we're able to follow and make good progress. The problem, of course, comes when they're not leading the way you want to go. In his book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, James Covey says, the second great habit effective people have is to begin with the end in mind. Basically, if you're going to start a journey, know the destination before you head out. Know where you're going. And then as you go, make sure you're staying on the path. You have that clear object in mind of what you're accomplishing, where you're heading. It sounds simple, but in life, in our activities, in our hopes, in our dreams, in the teaching we sit under, the books we read, the people we associate with, the shows we watch on TV, in all of these activities, do we ask ourselves, what is my goal? Is this moving me towards the goal, away from the goal, perpendicular to the goal? What is the end of this, and what is my end? The Westminster Catechism, both the larger and the shorter, start off with the same answer. Man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and to fully enjoy him forever. Begin with the end in mind. Is that the end we have in mind? in our life. If it is, if that is our goal, if that is our purpose, and for a Christian I think it should be, must be, then are we getting there? Are we following the right path? Are the giants who lead the way leading us there or away from it? That's what Jude is trying to deal with, particularly as we come to this section, dealing with the false teachers in their end, and we should consider the impact they have on our life as we go to our respective end. So let us read. We'll just read because it's getting a bit late. We'll just read verses uh, 14 through 16. I mean, sorry, 17 through 23. Jude, seven, verse 17 through 23. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. 
Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we consider this call to remember the warnings we have received, we pray, Lord, that we would take them into our heart, that we would be able to consider what is the end we desire, what is the end of the false teachers, what should our association be with them. Know, Lord, that it is often a divisive matter, but it is an important one. And pray that you would open our hearts to consider it carefully. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So he starts off this section, but you must remember, being very firm. He's reminded us already, you know, this is a parallel, uh, verses really 5 through 16, or the Old Testament, and then the Old Covenant, 17 through basically 19, New Covenant reminding us of the warnings that we've received from the scripture. Jude reminded us of the apostasy, the unbelief, the hatred for God that people had, and the rebellion they raised against him in the Old Testament. We saw the unbelief in Exodus from verse 5, which led to the destruction of all those who did not believe. They weren't able to enter the promised land. Saw the angels rebelling in verse 6, and that led them to prison and judgment. Sodom and Gomorrah pursuing sexual immorality led to punishment by eternal fire. We learned of the way of Cain in verse 11, who hated God and therefore hated God's people and murdered them. Balaam's error, where he used immorality as a lure to bring people to worship idols and turn from the true God. Korah's rebellion, where they rejected God's authority and the authority of those God had appointed and set themselves up as heads of God's kingdom. They committed many crimes, we see in verse 8, their defiling of the flesh, rejecting authority, blaspheming what they don't understand. In verse 15, they speak harsh things against God. They don't want to worship a God. (coughs) Well, today... They don't want to worship a God who sends people to hell. They won't worship a God who has authority over their life. They won't worship a God who hates sin and loves righteousness because they love sin and hate righteousness. It says they are grumblers. They complain about God's providence. They are malcontents. Nothing will be good enough for them. They are led by their sinful desires and not by the Spirit. They boast of their own greatness boldly and show favoritism. They stroke people's egos to win their advantage. But he says their end is judgment. Their end is condemnation. Their end is, we hear from Jesus, an eternity of punishment in hell. So we're told to be mindful of those things, to remember them. He's telling us all of this about false teachers. These false teachers who teach against scripture, who teach their dreams, who teach their visions, who teach their ideas and reject God. That is who those people are. That is what they face. He says, now be mindful of the prediction of the apostles. Moving into the new covenant time, the New Testament. 
The apostles were no, shown many things that man had never known and never understood. Peter talks about this in 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12. He says, concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and carefully inquired, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of the Christ and the subsequent glories. But it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, and the things that have now been announced through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things to which angels long to look. You know, the, the warning of the apostles is now much greater and much clearer and much more important because these great mysteries of Christ are theirs. Paul talks about that in some detail. He says, you know, the mystery was known to me by revelation. As I have written you briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has been now revealed to his holy apostles. This is what Jude is referring to. These things were hidden. They were secret. They were hinted at. They were alluded to. They were shadows. And now the truth, the reality of Christ has come. He says, the mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and members of the same body and partakers of the same promise in Christ through the gospel. He goes on in Ephesians 3, a few verses later, to talk about how he is the very least of the saints, but grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages, in God who created all things, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was according to the eternal, excuse me, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we are to be mindful of the things the apostles predicted because much more had been revealed to them that was even revealed in all of the Old Testament. And what are those warnings that were given to us over and over again? Well, we see them over and over again. Paul, in 2 Timothy 3, beginning of it, says, Understand this, in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Now, certainly that is who Paul, or Jude is describing the same as Paul. These people are puffed up and loudly bolding of their greatness, of their holiness, of their superiority, of their teaching. And yet, he goes on to say, they don't have the Spirit. They're devoid of the Spirit of God. Paul says, avoid such people, continuing on. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sins and led astray by their various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at knowledge of the truth. Just as Janez and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men opposed the truth. 
men corrupted in mind, disqualified regarding the faith. Disqualified because they don't have the faith, they don't have the spirit without the spirit. They can't understand the things of God, so they're disqualified. He says, but they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as it was of those two men. And so, speaking of these men in the last days who have come to corrupt the church, Paul is every bit as firm with them as Jude. The Holy Spirit, speaking through both men, is fervent in his desire to turn us away from these people. Paul also says in Romans 16, 17-20, I appeal to you, brothers, watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve the Lord Jesus Christ with their own appetites. Jude calls them people who feed only the shepherds feeding only themselves. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. We don't want to be naive in the things of God. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So Paul has given the same warnings that Jude has. Watch out for these people. Peter gives similar warnings in 2 Peter chapter 2. False prophets arose among the people. There will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Not just wrong teaching, but destructive wrong teaching. Even denying the master who bought them, bringing on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, the, the allure of the flesh, that these men present and tell you you can have. Many will follow them. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. In the third chapter, he continues on. says, by way of reminder, you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing first of all that scoffers will come in the last days scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is this promise of his coming? Ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. I think I'll skip down since... Time is running. Continuing in verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up. And dissolved in the earth. And the works that are done in it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved. What sort of people ought you to be. In lives of holiness and godliness. Waiting for and hastening the day of the coming of the Lord. And so there's an end for us. Enjoy, glorify God, enjoy him forever. The world is going to be destroyed. How should we live? Should we live for the world or for God? John speaks to this in 1 John chapter 2, 18 and 19. He says, children, it is the last hour. As you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. Oh, excuse me, that Antichrist is coming. Probably a proper name. So now many antichrists have come, 
Therefore, we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been, they would have continued with us. They went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. There were false teachers running around in that day that John is speaking of. They started in the church and then they leave to go spread destructive heresies around the world. And it was a daily battle for them. But remember, Jesus warned us too. We read the passage in John 15, If the world hates you, know that it hated me. First, if you are of the world, the world would love you of its own. So Jesus has warned us. In Matthew 7, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inward are ravenous wolves. Jude talks about them not only being shepherds who feed only themselves, but they eat without shame, taking what they want. Jesus says you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but a diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every fruit that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire. Thus you will recognize them by your fruit. Now, he's calling them ravenous wolves in sheep's clothing. They sneak in. They seem like they're nice people. They seem like good people. They're kind. They're considerate. They listen. They give you exactly what you want. Not what God wants you to have. Not what God wants you to hear. They tickle your ears. They are sheep in clothing only, but wolves in heart. Jesus says in Matthew 24, verse 9 and following, that they'll give you up to tribulation, put you to death. You'll be hated by all the nations for my name's sake. And many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. For many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because of the lawlessness will increase, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Next week, Lord willing, we'll look at what what Jude has to say about our endurance. But think about that. the The wicked will go from bad to worse. And many false prophets will come and lead them astray. And the love of many will grow cold because of that. The love not for self, that doesn't grow cold. The love for sin doesn't grow cold. The love for God, the love for God's people will grow cold. So these warnings are frequent because we must remember them. We're prone to forget them. We're prone to blunt the edge of them so they don't cut so deep. Prone to reject them outright. And then we, the church, the people of God, suffer for it. You know, this has always been the case, and I think it always will be until the Lord returns. Jonathan Edwards, who, if you don't know him, was a pastor, theologian, missionary, uh, president of the College of New Jersey, which later became Princeton University, where many great men were, pre- were trained for the gospel. Uh, sadly, he died of smallpox vaccine the year he took over as president. But he said, now is a very dark time with respect to the interest in religion. He was in the mid-1700s. 
early to mid-1700s. And such a time has been prophesied of the, in this place where there is but a little faith and a great prevailing of infidelity on the earth. There's now a remarkable fulfillment of 2 Peter 3.3 3 and Jude 17 and 18. Whether the time shall be any darker still or how much darker before the beginning of his glorious work of God, we cannot tell. You know, even in our own country, this problem has been around from the beginning. And it's a troubling matter. We don't fight a battle, win, and have an easy life from then on. We fight an ongoing guerrilla war. Wolves in sheep's clothing trying to trick us, deceive us, destroy us from within. I remember hearing recently of churches now being basically being infiltrated by those who are teaching socialism and by those who are teaching the new racism. They get people in, they whisper these things, they have their teaching agenda, and they try to persuade some of the church to embrace godless ideas and turn away from God, but being active in it. And of course, that's been true throughout history. And so just as we're warned in the Old Testament and the New Testament as well, Jude is warning us that there will be scoffers in the last days. Now, we should address what are the last days. You know, many seem to suppose that the writers of Scripture believed any day now, in my lifetime, before long, the Lord will return. And they mock, oh, it's been 2,000 years, it never happened. Clearly, it was a big lie. Uh, even I, as a new believer, was confused. Why do they seem to act like it's the last day when that was 2,000 years ago and it still hasn't happened? And we read earlier how in Peter they'll, they'll mock that and they'll say, oh, you know, where is this coming you speak of? Uh, Peter knew that it would be prophesied that it would be a long time and that would, people would come to that point. It took a long time for me to understand Scripture in this regard. But the idea was, well, if you think about Jesus' day, what were people waiting for and what were people hoping for? What was the next big event in God's plan of redemption that would happen? You know, in Luke chapter 2, we read about a prophet named Simeon, righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And when Jesus is brought in, you know, he is rejoicing that he can now die in peace. He has seen the deliverance of the Lord. Uh, Anna, the prophetess, <coughs> mentioned in verse 36 to 38, even though she was old, she was a widow, 84 years old, but she didn't depart the temple day and night, worshiping, fasting, and praying, waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem and prophesying to everybody who came. You know, the Old Testament believer was looking forward to this great thing that was coming, the Messiah. Well, now the Messiah has come. What's next? His return. The second coming. The consummation of all things, it's called in some places. And so what these people are prophesying, it is the last day, meaning the end of time. It is, you know, the, the prophecy is that the next thing to happen will be the end of this age 
the end of this world as we know it and the beginning of the next part of God's plan. And so when it says, you know, these are the last days or this is the last day or it is now the end time or the end of the ages have come. um, Paul talks about that. He says all those things that happened in the Old Testament were written down that are written down for us or for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. And that helps us to really see what we're looking at. The last day is really the time from the incarnation to the second coming. The last day. How long will it be? We don't know. But there's nothing else planned in between of major event. And if we understand it that way, then Peter's rebuke of those who say, well, where is this coming? Well, God is patient that all might all the, his people will be born and will be redeemed and will become part of God's kingdom. And so we're waiting for that to finish. And only he knows the time. He's not late or he's not slow. He's patient. And so the last days are where we live. And there will be many scoffers during this time. In Second Peter, it's the, the slowness of his return that's what they mock. And that's why Peter says, you know, with God, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day. He says, Jesus has come. There will be judgment. Now let my people be gathered. And it's taking a long time from our perspective, but not from God's. But in Peter, they were scoffing at that and mocking how long it had been since the return, since the return was promised. I think many atheists, many unbelievers, many who mock are really doing so because they don't want there to be a judgment. They don't want Christ to come and judge the world. They don't want condemnation. They don't want hell. Now, people really do know about that. They have to sear their conscience to hide it. But it is evident in men because God has made us like that. He's given us that 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 fear in our hearts, that knowledge in our hearts of judgment. And men must sear their conscience to make it go away or come to Christ. Uh, Here in Jude, the mocking seems to be more about the scoffing about morality and holiness as they didn't have any respect for that. Uh, Some commentators refer to these people as the libertines. Uh, I remember somebody tried to persuade me that I should join the libertarian party. I'm like, but they're opposed to any concept of morality. And I kind of think the government has some obligation to maintain decent morality. If you abandon it, then your society would become more and more godless. Well, these people had abandoned morality. They're, they're described that way throughout the book of Jude. You know, they pervert the grace of God into sensuality. They follow their own sensual desires, their own sinful desires. And so that scoffing is there. And Peter deals with this too. In First Peter chapter 4, verses 3 through 5, we read about how the past was good, you know, more than enough time in your life for sensuality and passion and drunkenness and orgies and drinking parties and idolatry. And he says in verse 4, with respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. The scoffing, the mocking, the maligning comes about because they're enjoying their sinful life and they don't see why you don't. 
and then they get convicted a little bit and they despise you for it. Now, also in Jude, though, we see these people are rebels and they're blasphemers. They're scoffing at authority. Remember, there's no authority except what God has established. And by scoffing at authority, they're really scoffing at God and rebelling against him. And we're told they follow their ungodly passions in our verse today, verse 18. That's really not how we're called. In Titus, Paul tells Titus in chapter 2, verses 11 and following, The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself up to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And so while they are giving themselves into ungodliness and worldly passions, these false teachers embracing them, we're to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. Now, Paul also has a warning for us about those people. He says, and a warning for those people, do not be deceived, Galatians 6, 7, and 8. God is not mocked. Whatever one sows, he will reap. When sows for his own flesh from the flesh, he will reap corruption. But if he sows from the Spirit, from the Spirit, he will reap eternal life. Uh, they've been warned to turn away from their sin, just as we're warned not to follow them. And he says, continuing on, that they are divisive and devoid of the Holy Spirit. In general, a division amongst God's people is a very sinful thing. Uh, Paul speaks of this in 1 Corinthians, where they were dividing over which teacher they would follow. He says, uh, verse 10 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, <coughs> but that you be reminded, or you be of the same mind and same judgment, united in mind and judgment. For it has been reported that some of you say, oh, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas. And we see the same thing today. Oh, I follow... MacArthur, I follow Sproul, I follow, you know, we have these divisions in our life. Those are bad, and people who start those are, are condemned. In chapter 3, verse 3 of 1 Corinthians, he says, you, you know, where there's jealousy and strife among you, are, not, are you not of the flesh behaving as a human in a more, you know, in a man, human way? It's a terrible thing that kind of division. And so Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 16, 17 and 18, I appeal to you, brothers, watch out for those who cause divisions. These are the people Jude is talking about also. They, they cause a division within the church to lead some people astray. <coughs> Excuse me. A little too much smoke in the room at this point. Watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine you've been taught. 
So here, the concern is people teaching a false doctrine create a division in the church. You have the people who follow the false doctrine and the people who want to follow Christ, and now they're separate parties. Watch out for the ones who are trying to do that. You know, most people are, sad to say, most Christians even, are very ignorant of Scripture. They're ignorant of the doctrines they think they believe. Uh, they make assumptions. They've heard something. It sounds good. It appeals to them. Therefore, it's truth. And what ends up happening is a division is in the church because they're following this man-made truth. It's in disagreement with Scripture. And watch out for the people who are teaching those things or making those divisions. Paul goes on to say, though, that not all division is bad because the, the division like that is going to happen. You can't be with the people who have the false doctrines and teach them. Towards the end of 1 Corinthians in chapter 11, verse 18 and 19, he says, In the first place, when you come together as a church, I heard that here there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine may be recognized. We don't always like to acknowledge this, but when people are following false doctrine, unbelief or sinfulness or corruption or the flesh, as Jude is talking about, when they're mocking scripture and mocking God, there is going to be a division and it is a necessary division. We want to try and redeem, as Jude will go on to say, snatch, you know, rescue the people who believe and are being led astray. But there must be fractions amongst us. There must be divisions. There must be sects to recognize the believer from the unbeliever. So these false prophets and false teachers, I'm calling them unbelievers because Jude is saying they are devoid of the Spirit. What does it mean to be devoid of the Spirit? Well, Paul in Romans 8, 9 says, You're not of the flesh, but of the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So when Jude is saying these people do not have the Spirit, he is saying they don't belong to Christ. They haven't been redeemed. They haven't had that new heart put in them, as Ezekiel talks about in Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27. Remember that passage? <coughs> God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you. Uh, and you shall be clean from your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. <coughs> Obviously, I should have put my purifier out here. I do have a cough drop from grandmother. Uh, having a fire only a mile or so away means smoke. So when he says they do not have the spirit, he's saying they haven't been regenerated. They haven't been born again yet. They don't know God. And without the spirit, they cannot understand the things of God. Remember 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. So these false prophets and false teachers, because they haven't been redeemed, because they haven't been born again, because they don't have the Spirit, they couldn't possibly understand the things of God. 
And so they are confidently teaching the things they want to teach, but incapable of understanding the things we need to know. Incapable of understanding the things of God. And if we listen to them, we follow them, we agree with them, we're inevitably turning away from God. Paul tells us, and this passage I'm going to read is often abused to justify divisions over everything. You know, we've said there are good divisions and there are bad divisions. There are people who basically say, if you don't follow everything I believe the way I believe it, then you're an unbeliever and you're separated from me. You know, that's not what this passage is about. That's not what I'm referring to. False doctrine taught by unbelieving teachers who show themselves to be false prophets and false teachers by their reasoning. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 and following, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Comes from the Old Testament, yoking a, a donkey and yoking a ox to plow the field. You can't do that. Now, yoking a believer and an unbeliever, you're not going to get anywhere. You're, you're going to be heading in opposite directions, in fact. In fact, He says, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? <clears throat> Remember, Judas been calling these false teachers godless from the very beginning. What accord has Christ in Belial? What portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God has said. I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and then I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. You know, leaving aside the godless who manipulate this to use for justifying their divisions to lead people away from God, what he is saying is we can have no part with them. You know, begin with the end in mind, I said at the beginning. What is the end? To glorify God, to enjoy him forever, to go to heaven. Are these people going there? Are false teachers going to heaven? Well, only if God redeems them and they repent. Certainly that's not their destination now. Their destination is immorality, or their path is immorality and wickedness and false teaching, and their destination is hell. The unity of the faithful is not brought about by allowing unbelief and unbelieving teachers in the church. Some people seem to think it is. Oh, we need to have peace. We need to have unity. Division is sin. Therefore, rebuking the unbelieving false teacher is wrong. Putting them out of the church is wrong. To say that that prophetess, pastoress, you know, is godless because of her false teachings and her false prophecies. Some people get upset when you say that. But they are leading one direction and God is leading us the other direction and the two shall never meet. The natural person doesn't know the things of God, doesn't care about them, doesn't want them. We cannot unite with those who pervert the scriptures. We should not be listening to them. We should not be considering them our brothers and our sisters if they are working in sin, if they are turning people away from God. If they are the kind of people that Jude has been describing, then we have no part with them. 
We are told in Ephesians 4, 11 and following that God gave the apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of faith. Our unity in the church comes not by accepting everybody just as they are and allowing everybody's teaching to go in the church, not by thinking all paths lead to heaven. Our unity comes, note what he says. We have shepherds and teachers to equip us for building up the body until we obtain that unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God. Mature manhood to the measure of the stature of fullness of Christ. In other words, we learn the doctrines, we learn the truths, we know right from wrong, we recognize faults from good. That is when we have unity. We can be united in the faith because we share the faith. It says that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Certainly that describes the the false teachers that Jude has been talking about. They want to blow you around with their doctrine, trick you one way or another with their human cunning and their deceitful schemes. And if you don't know your word, you don't know the Bible, you can be led astray. And that's why it's important that churches are careful to keep out false teachers, false beliefs. You know, if we begin with that end in mind, we need to remember this warning that's been repeated over and over again. These false teachers will come. They will destroy you if you follow them. Do not do that. Those people are destined for an eternity of torment in hell. That is their destination. That is their end. I remember the psalm. I was tempted to be envious of the wicked when I saw their prosperity. The answer to it at the end of the psalm is, Then I went to the house of the Lord and I discerned their end. Don't follow them to their end. And you've got to ask yourself, if their destination, if their end is hell, can you be involved with them? Can you learn from them? Oh, there are good things we can glean from the book, even though the pastor pastor or pastoress or prophetess or whatever who wrote it is false. There are good things we can learn. Is that really true? They're kind people. They're loving people. They help people. We can join with them. Is that really true? It's very critical that we recognize false teachers and false prophets and understand that they really are devoid of the Spirit and turn away from them because they will lead us where we do not want to go. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we know that Jude has put some harsh things in there, but they're harsh for a reason. These false teachers will lead us to shipwreck our faith. They're hidden reefs. They're shepherds who feed only themselves. They're ravenous wolves who devour the flock. Lord, we pray that we would be diligent to shun such sin, but also, Lord, to show the love and the grace and the compassion to those who are weak of faith and low of knowledge, that they might be 
brought to fullness in you that they might hear the word and learn from the word and devote themselves to it. We ask these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.